Cassandra Overby is our guest on Travel with Rick Steves. She recommends 15 of her favorite hiking trails, and she's mapped them out for a walking vacation in her book, Explore Europe on Foot. Thanks for joining us, Cassandra. Thanks so much for having me. So Europe is kind of unique because it's got these very well-established major hikes that have an infrastructure, actually, and they have a lot of history. Tell us just briefly about the, the hiking infrastructure in Europe. I think it really helps to understand that unlike in the United States where most trails are in wilderness, the trails in Europe have a totally different history that's not all about the wilderness. It's actually about bringing people to the very best of civilization, the very best of history. So you have trails that were built because people wanted to do pilgrimages. You have trails that were built because people needed trade routes. And you have trails that were built so people could go from village to village and even sell their wares. So this is something we have to remember. In the old days, a trail, if you had rush hour, it might have been on a trail. Right, because exactly. Because they didn't, obviously, they didn't have paved roads. And, yeah. and this was the trail. I'll never forget being in Montenegro, in Kotor. And uh, Montenegro is Black Mountain. That's what it is, literally. And there's this community, the historic, uh, you know, nation up on the top of the mountains. And from this fjord-like uh, bay off the Adriatic, you have a switchback road. But next to that switchback road, you've got a faint little trail. And it's so evocative to me because it reminds me that a thousand years ago, everybody had to get to Montenegro by hiking up that switchback trail. And you can do it today. Right. So you've got this history tied in with this nature, and you've got a love of getting out into the outdoors that Europeans have. So if you want to enjoy Europe on foot, of course, there's many different trails that you can sort through. But I want to talk just about the mechanics of this. First of all, you can take a tour or you can go on your own. If you take a tour as a hiker, what are your options? A lot of people want somebody to drive their gear or set up the hotels or have a naturalist to go with you and explain the flora and fauna. Right. So there are a few different options that I like to recommend to people. You know, you do have the completely independent route, which is easy to do in Europe. It's easy to do that by yourself. But there are self-guided tours where companies will set you up with walking directions. They'll set you up with luggage transfer. They'll make all of your bookings for you, give you a map, and then you just go and you explore the trail by yourself. Or you can do fully guided trails. And that way you'll have someone narrating the trail while you're walking, in addition to booking everything for you. What are the pros and cons of each, would you say? Yeah, so fully guided is the most expensive option always. But if you're someone who is an over planner and you really obsess in your normal life about all those plans, it can be really nice just to let go and let somebody else handle all of the logistics yeah. and have someone share insights, especially a local, about their culture and about the towns that you pass through. Because I'll never forget walking up in the Swiss Alps with my friend who was a local you know, nature guide, and he took me to find an Edelweiss. Mm -hmm. And you don't just find those. I mean, they're hard to find. Right. And he took me just to the spot, and he set me up, and he reminded me how precious this is and how we're not supposed to pick it and everything, and then we saw it. I would have never appreciated that without a local guide. Right. Without a guide, you really don't get those local insights. Right. Someone who's from that area can show you so much more than you would ever imagine. Because there's a lot hiding in that mountain face. There is. That you wouldn't recognize without that local person. Right. I'm kind of intrigued by the, the middle way, where you have somebody that... You got a Sherpa with four wheels, basically. They you take do. your gear ahead, and then you're footloose and fancy free all day, and you're not having to go with a group, and you're not having to stick with a guide, but you have them set it up, and you know you've got a, a warm dinner waiting for you in a cool little mountain hut down yeah, the road. Yeah, and that can be a really great option, also because you're hiking just with a small day pack. So mm -hmm. you have some snacks, you have a rain jacket just in case it rains. But and if your partner is exhausted and complaining about that blister, 
they can hop in the car and meet you there tonight. Exactly. I love that. Yeah. Because then two people don't have to risk having one person scuttle the whole mission. Yes. I think that's pretty important. Now, when you go, do you like to have companionship or have you gone alone to see that you'll just meet people as you go or are you just appreciate this time alone with nature? What, what thinking do you go through before you determine that? So I like to mix it up on all of my trips. So I did a lot of research trips for my book and sometimes I had people join me and that was really wonderful. Sometimes I did the hikes alone, which was great for really getting into an area and kind of losing my identity and losing myself and just kind of soaking everything in like a local. And then it was also really nice to reach out and actually make some new friends. So I wanted to hike the GR34 in France, didn't know anyone who wanted to go. And I felt like I really wanted people to join me on that section because it's on cliffs. So I reached out to a Parisian hiking group and I said, hey, I'm coming to hike this trail. I'm an American author. Do you have anyone who would be interested in hiking it with me? And I found a couple, a Parisian couple, who came out to Mont Saint-Michel and met me. And we hiked for two days together. And it was amazing. That's a great idea. Talk about a, a nice initiative. And, and I would think on the trail, people are inclined to be friends. I mean, it's they are. They're like-minded people. Everybody's in a, in a positive spirit and so on. I want to talk a bit about the gear because I'm always looking at Germans, and Germans are sort of famous for their walking sticks. You yes. Know? What's with those walking sticks anyways? So they really help if you have creaky knees um, or, you know, if you've just been hiking for a long time and you'd like to extend your hiking life because they make the load a little easier on your body. Okay. Yeah. And um, I would think they're a little, it's a little safer if you have four legs instead of two when you're going down be. a rocky slope or something. Yes, especially for balance. By no means do you have to have those sticks. Is it something aerobic also or something for exercise when you're just walking straight on a paved trail to have that yeah. arm motion going? Because I see Germans like, Germans are famous for this. I mean, it's just like there's people almost kind of, think it's kind of funny because you come six Germans and they've all got their walking sticks and they look like a little animation almost. Yes. What about uh, boots? I I grew up thinking you got to have boots, but now there's options. There are options. So my favorite option is called a European walking shoe. This is a specific type of shoe that's kind of a hybrid between just a nice looking shoe that you would normally wear when you're traveling and something sturdier that's good for being outside. So it's waterproof, has a good sole, but it blends in, you know, they're usually black or brown. They're very lightweight. And so you can have the same shoe for when you're going to a nice museum or out for dinner as you do when you're on trail. And, and what's it called again? A European walking shoe. A European walking shoe. And yeah. just if you don't even care what you look like in a museum, is there any compromise on that from having a good old-fashioned hiking boot? So good old-fashioned hiking boots, especially high tops, are good if you have um, ankles that need a little more stability. Hmm. So, But if you don't need that stability... I just recommend going super light, and you really aren't compromising any other function by choosing a European walking shoe. So if you feel you got, it's not a safety thing, you're not more likely to sprain your ankle or something, as far as you know. Hmm, Okay, that's good to know. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking with Cassandra Overby. She's written a book called Explore Europe on Foot, laying out the greatest hikes in Europe. And I was impressed by the last half of this book, which is really just hiking wisdom. You make a point to fix little problems before they get worse. I mean, I've seen people crippled on the community Santiago taking four days off of the off of the pilgrimage because they've just got terrible feet. Right. What do you do to keep your feet healthy on an extended multi-day hike? My biggest tip is to actually go um, a little out there with your sock choice. So I always hike in merino wool socks, and that's what I travel with also. Are you layering it with another sock or just that? So actually, I choose merino wool socks that have holes for all of your toes. It's a super smart thing to do, and I recently discovered it probably about two years ago. It makes sure that you never get blisters. 
and they look a little goofy. When you put them on, it takes an extra second because you're trying to fit all your little toes into the individual Does holes. that keep your toes from rubbing together? It does. Ah, brilliant. It does. And it keeps your foot from rubbing in the shoe more. And so um, if you just do that, that will eliminate, I would say, probably 98% of your blisters. And then I would think there's some wisdom of just if you sense anything going on, stop and put on some protective uh, Right. Stop uh, immediately. Stop That's immediately. what I tell all of the people who hike with me. As soon as you feel a twinge, don't be strong. Don't hike through that. Protect it. Put, yeah. put some moleskin. Mo- yeah, moleskin. Moleskin, right. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking with Cassandra Overby about hiking in Europe. And there's a lot of high-tech gadgetry that people um, are relying on nowadays. What's the biggest innovation for you as far as uh, confidence on the trail and so on? I like to use a smartphone um, that's not connected to the internet or cellular service, but it does have GPX tracks on there. GPX tracks. Yes. What is so that? So it's like Google Maps, but for the trail. So it'll show you exactly where you are on trail, where you're walking, and where the trail should be. So you have two lines, what you're walking and where the trail is. And if you're doing it all correctly, those two lines become one. So this is just like me using Google Maps to find a, a friend whose house I've never been to in the city. Right. But it's up in the mountains. Yes. And, and you, you load it up online and then you use it when you're offline. Right. And what does a hiker who's relying on that do to make sure they don't run out of battery? So I carry a spare battery with me that uh-huh. I plug into. And so your battery will drain faster when you're mm-hmm. using the screen a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just keep it plugged into my spare battery and I'm good to go. What's your wisdom on the right kind of backpack? Ooh, I love backpack talk. Um, So always choose a backpack that has water bottle holsters. Mm -hmm. Choose a backpack that has a waist strap. So So you're going to distribute the weight from your shoulders onto your waist also. Yes, yes. Is that realistic if somebody is packing light and even if they have a big personal frame? Uh, I mean, you should really try to get a waist belt to distribute the weight. Yes, that is the biggest tip. Because inevitably, you will put more in your pack than you think you will. That's right. And it's going to be a little heavier. And hiking in Europe, you generally don't need to worry about taking food and tent and sleeping bags because you're going from hut to hut. Yeah. Talk really uh, briefly about the uh, mountain huts and how you will eat and sleep on your favorite kind of hike. So there's a good variety of the mountain huts. Um, Up in the north, like in Sweden, it's like indoor camping, so very bare bones. But if you're somewhere like France or Germany... This is basically a comfortable guest house that just happens to be situated in the mountains where you will be cooked some of the best comfort food of your entire life. You can purchase wine or beer. You're surrounded by all this gorgeous scenery, and you can either have a private room or you can share a dorm room with other walkers. And when it comes to eating, you are exercising, you're hungry, you've got high altitude, this food's going to taste better than ever, and you can eat all of it that you want. Yes, you're burning so many calories that there is nothing that you will want to say no to. When you set out on a four-day hike, do you generally have your mountain huts reserved before you leave, or do you just play it by ear? So I almost always reserve mountain huts in advance because a lot of times they're situated one day apart. And so, you know, everybody wants to stay in the same place each night. So it can be good to just get those reservations taken care of. there are the best, the most characteristic and and well-run huts, and they're the ones that will probably book up first. Yes. And it's pretty straightforward to make a reservation, and it's reliable. Yes. And then you get to see the same people all along your hike, so you make friends along the way. Yeah. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We've been talking with Cassandra Overby about Exploring Europe on Foot. That's the name for a book, and um, it's an inspiration. I'm going to plug a little bit of that dimension of Europe into my next trip. Thanks, Cassandra. Thank you. Rick Steves has spent a third of his adult life in Europe researching and writing guidebooks. Europe Through the Back Door teaches the skills of smart travel. Travel as a political act adds meaning to the journey. 
And Rick Steves' best-selling country, city, and pocket guidebooks cover every corner of Europe. To learn more, visit the Travel Store at ricksteves.com.